Welcome to Cloud Insiders, the podcast that brings cloud down to earth. Right, I'm joined today by Bob Plumridge, the chairman of the Storage Networking Industry Association, EMEA, and CTO of Hitachi Data Systems. Welcome. Thank you. Good morning. Also joined by Richard Robinson, who's the Strategic Alliances Manager at Extrovert. Good morning. And today, gentlemen, let's dive straight into it. I'd love to talk about DevOps, containers, Dockers, and what it means for IT buying decisions. So perhaps if we start with you, Bob, for those who don't know, who are Hitachi Data Systems and what do you do? So we're owned by the Japanese giant Hitachi. We're part of the IT and communications division within Hitachi. And what we do is we provide IT solutions to all sorts of businesses, everything from the financial sector to telcos to manufacturers to healthcare providers and pretty much any other business you care to name. And when I say IT solutions, I mean everything from consulting all the way down to providing hardware to run the infrastructures on and, and pretty much everything in between these days. Very good. And in terms of your remit within the, the data systems division? So me personally, I'm responsible for um, evangelizing our strategy direction of the organization, talking to our clients, potential clients around how we see now, if you like, within the industry and how we see the future, what we think the major trends and developments will be in the next two to three years, how Hitachi are developing solutions and technology to meet those needs, and also spending time listening to what customers want. So what do they see within their businesses? What are their problem areas? And where are the areas that they're looking for help um, to run their businesses more efficiently? And what can we do to develop solutions, et cetera, to, to help them with those problems? Very good. And we'll, we'll get into DevOps as, as one of those emerging areas in a, in a moment. Before we do, I, I understand you've also got an interest in the Storage Networking Industry Association, the EMEA, who you share. Could you tell us a little bit about that group? Yeah, sure. I've been involved with SNEA now for about 10 years. Uh, the last uh, six of which I've been chairman. So in Europe, really, we're, what we are is a completely vendor-neutral um, organization. Our membership is all pretty much all the large IT vendors that uh, you could name around the world. And we really spend our time taking a, an industry-neutral view of what's going on. So rather than talking about products from individual companies, we talk about the major trends and directions. So... DevOps is a good example. Um, we've been doing quite a bit of uh, work and education on that just recently. Um, in the past, it was more around hardware and, as our name would suggest, storage networking. So in the early days of fiber channel, et cetera, doing standards around interoperability. And more recently, standards around the emergence of Flash and NVMe. So all of the sort of base technologies, as well as looking at, as I say, the trends and directions and trying to get together industry experts from the major organizations to to discuss these trends and how we think things are going to develop over the next two, three, four, and if we're really adventurous, maybe even five years. Brilliant. Okay, thank you. So one of those trends is obviously DevOps. Do you want to give us a, a high level of what DevOps is in an, in an agile and, and lean context and why it's important to the SDDC or Software Defined Data Center. Yeah, sure. So where this has really come from, I think, is most organizations, or maybe all organizations, have a, a, a development arm and they have a, an operational arm. And they 
pretty much in the past tended to operate pretty much separately from each other. So the development organization have developed what the business has asked for and what the business needs in order to grow and run. And then when that's developed, they pass it over to the operational team. And the operational team then has the responsibility of running that for the business. So reliability, obviously, uh, performance and, and everything else we expect from applications um, becomes their responsibility. And, and development then tended to go off and do whatever was next on their, their priority list or whatever the business required next. So quite often you, you lost some of the skills that had been developed or built while their development was going on. And then operations often had to relearn everything. And they would sometimes struggle with this. So really the whole idea of DevOps has been, well, bring these two organizations together. Give a team the responsibility of not just developing it, but developing it and then bringing it into production and having the responsibility of running it. So expand their knowledge and experience from the development environment right the way through to the, to the operational environment. The, the thinking being that you, you maintain the expertise, that uh, it makes organizations more agile because you can maybe overcome some of the problems that there have been typically when things have been handed over from development to the operations staff. So it's, it's really grown out of that. And it's shown some promise. I'm not saying it's going to solve every problem that uh, has ever been encountered in a development or operational role. But I think it, we are starting to see it makes significant sense in a lot of organisations. We're seeing a lot of organisations Take, just taking the best practices and the methodology at a very early stage, so they're not they're not admitting to be fully uh, advanced within DevOps. Um, but a number of the organisations that we're consulting with to design, build, deploy cloud environments, they're starting to use agile methodology. They're starting to use methodologies from DevOps under the simple premise of how do we get an idea to market much quicker? Because at the moment, it's still you know some of these cloud deployments are operated or run very much like linear data center sort of transformation migration projects of sort of 5 10 15 years ago we're slowly starting to see these these large organizations take this agile devops approach and it, it's really helping so moving away from those weekend coding drops uh, and then waking up monday morning where nothing works and then having to go back through the process but it might have been weeks or months between the development guys actually writing the code and it being dropped over that weekend. Uh, and there's a whole, you know, they're, they're involved in other works, other work streams. Um, there might be changes to the environment, that kind of thing. So we're starting to see huge, huge improvements in those project cycles within those cloud projects. I think that's a, a very good point. I think the one of the key sort of words is continuous, I think, in mm. both from an integration and testing point of view and from a delivery and deployment view and from an operations point of view. So you've got continuity between all of that. Whereas I think before you're absolutely right, it was, it was almost a drop it and run yes. <laughs> um, type, type uh, implementation. And I think the other thing that enables uh, them to do is make continuous small changes, a bit like Facebook, I guess. You know, Facebook don't have that methodology where they just change everything in a big bang. You tend to notice with Facebook that things tend to evolve rather than change dramatically at any one point. Yeah. And I, and I guess that's, and I'm sure that's because they do have this DevOps type uh, mentality where, where the development and testing is going on continuously. Absolutely. And it's, it helps the 
end user and their journey with that with that technology because as a user you don't want to see huge changes in the in the way that the the application that you're using be it something like facebook or in a, in a more corporate structure you don't want to you don't want to go into the office one monday morning and and everything that you were doing before has has now had to completely change that small iterative mm-hmm. approach means that actually the the user journey is much easier much better than that as you say that that large drop I was listening to a podcast actually last week talking about one of the big banks and they've gone from you know releasing a few hundred dev releases a month to you know something up in the tens of thousands because they're just doing these small tiny daily iterative changes to code and it's all automated and just just dropping into the systems there's no um, there's no big bang anymore uh, they've they've seen a huge huge improvement in service I guess it also enables the the, the company as a whole to react more quickly to market changes because they can make changes on the fly as it were to, to the operational systems mm. without having to do major rewrites so if there is a shift in their market of some description maybe brit exit is a good example mm. that has impacted a lot of organizations very very quickly and they've been able to make changes to accommodate those those types of issues very quickly and get them into production in no time at all, whereas before it would have probably required huge amounts of rewrites, massive amounts of testing before they would actually be confident enough uh, to deploy those systems to their end users. Do you want to give us a couple more of the, the benefits that you see see clients getting from a, a DevOps sort of agile approach to development? So from my point of view, I think uh, I think one of the other big advantages is that ability to get more use out of your existing staff Instead of, as I said before, having this sort of brick wall before between development and operations, it's bringing the two organisations together. I think it increases the flexibility of, of the people that you uh, you employ in those organisations, and it also enhances their own uh, career prospects because it, it gives them a much greater range of skills. And typically, if you have more enabled, if you like, employees, then they tend to be much happier. They tend to be much more fulfilled in terms of their jobs. And they're always looking for um, opportunities to advance their careers. So I think there's there's a lot of advantages that are not immediately obvious just because the systems are developed more quickly. So I think that's that's often a, a one that's quite overlooked within in, uh, the deployment of these types of systems. Mm, I find that one really interesting because in my experience, DevOps are really first raised by developers, which is not surprising because they're constantly looking at new tools and new ways of doing things. But I can vividly remember developers presenting to a CTO at the time and, and saying, look, we think we need to move in this direction. We already know we need to become more agile. But something else that, that I'd also like you to touch on quickly, if you don't mind, Bob, is what Docker and containers are for the rest of us. Okay. So if we start with containers, containers are really the idea that you can then put the app and everything that an application relies on into one container. So part of the problem before was you could develop an application on a, on a given platform, software and everything else, and it would work fine. And then you'd move it somewhere else, a new release of the, of the underlying software, and suddenly half of what you'd done didn't work. So moving things from things like from the PC to tests to development environments, the pre-prod into production, you often got environments that weren't exactly the same and quite often the differences were relatively small, but it could have quite a big impact on the application itself. The idea of the containers was that you package all that together. 
So you're not just moving the application. You have the ability to move everything that supports that application together in one lump, as it were, so that that allows you to, to get the reliability that, uh, that you weren't able to get before. Is it also fair to say that the environments, the, the virtual environment, so if you go up a level to the, to the VM, you can get much more out of your environment as well because my understanding is you can run multiple containers then underneath a smaller number of virtual machines. Yes, absolutely. So you, what you typically find where people have deployed containers is they're running lots of containers. It's not just one because that would basically be bare metal OS, I guess. But yeah. it is, it's building on the virtualization techniques that uh, VMware and, uh, and Microsoft have, with Hyper-V have been Mm. Um, successfully developing and deploying over the last few years. So it, it means that you don't have to move the underlying operational or the OS, but you move everything else with it. So it, it takes that complete container and, and obviously that way it makes them much lighter. So they're, they're far smaller than having to move the entire virtual machine to, some, to another platform, which obviously runs into probably terabytes of uh, capacity these mm. days. Right, okay. And and how has Docker emerged onto the scene and, and what has that meant for, for the community? So Docker, um, that will run a, a single operating system and, and then you can have multiple containers on top of that which share the underlying operating system kernel with all the other containers. So the shared parts of the operating system would, would be read-only in effect, while each container has its own, own mount point. And, and that allows then the container itself to write, um, obviously as it needs to, because the applications need to modify data, et cetera. So that means again, that you're moving megabytes rather than um, gigabytes or terabytes when you're moving the entire virtual machine. And of course that way a single server can host lots of containers rather than multiple virtual machines. Um, you have lots of containers running on Pure virtual machine. So really, it's all. I guess it's really all about the mobility and reliability of the applications contained within the containers, so that you're not getting the types of problems that I previously described, just because you're moving from, I don't know, Python Python two seven to Python three or whatever it might be. Okay, makes sense. Thank you. So we've talked about the benefits. We've talked about how it's structured. Who are you seeing in terms of clients and in terms of verticals embracing these kinds of development techniques and moving towards what we might call DevOps? So, so from what I've seen, DevOps seems to be more prevalent in the financial sector right now than anywhere else. And I, I'm not sure why that is, to be honest, but that's, that's certainly what we've seen with the, the customers we work with and we you know, supply services to. But I'm not, I've been trying to find out why financial services, but there doesn't seem to be an easy answer to it. I don't know if it's because they feel that they need to become more agile more quickly in response to, you know, the startups that we're starting to see emerge in the financial services space. And maybe large manufacturers are not seeing that. Yeah, I don't know. Do you have a view on that, Richard? Interestingly, I um, had a number of conversations a few years ago while working for another company with Barclays, just after they've created the Ping It app. And they'd, they'd actually set up an internal function in the business to work out how they can engage with startups and single developers. There's a there's there's an organisation called Tech Hub, Tech Hub, which is a kind of a community of small startups and, and developers. And the move was the example that I was given by um by the chap at Barclays who was given this job this this role 
was if they wanted to create an app such as Ping It, in, in the past they would have had to have gone to a, an IBM or a, an Accenture, an organisation like that, and the whole project might have taken you know, a year to 18 months because there would be you know, the usual process and rigmarole around these kinds of, of, of projects. They knew that they needed to be able to work in a more, it's going to phrase, agile environment, a more agile way because a startup organization was able to create and uh, and use devops to, uh, to deliver to deliver an app in days weeks months um so i th- i think it was absolutely your point it was that need and fundamental need to be able to compete with what a startup can do and so instead of having to go out to to effectively buy these companies they wanted to be able to operate in that way in that environment just to be able to to take things to market quicker rather than taking a, a year to two years to create an on you know an online presence or an app they needed to be able to do it in weeks and months and the only way to be able to do that I think was to be they looked at it and and, and saw that DevOps was going to be the only way and I, and I think these mm. the banks started to do it when they saw online banking um, was was obviously the start of the big change for them um, and then two key things were banking apps on iPhones and the such and then the consumers desire to be able to pay for and share money seamlessly. There's a huge drive for that. And I, and I don't think banks would have been able to deploy those types of applications by um, going through the, the old methods and old processes. That's interesting because it does make you think then that other industries will be affected if they're not already. If you look at, say, Airbnb, I think another good example is often used, you know, obviously pretty much 100% app-driven mm. organisation. And it would be interesting to know, and I don't know the answer to this, if organisations such as the large hotel chains, Marriott, etc., are being impacted by them, and if that is forcing them mm. to look at DevOps in order to speed up their deployment of new systems and new offerings to additional customer base. Absolutely. One of the, one of the markets that we've seen an increase in is actually the retail sector. Some of the large um, okay. supermarket chains... Um, are really starting to get developed in DevOps, if there's a better phrase for it. I suspect that's driven by the increase in their consumer traffic that is online versus through the shop front. It's interesting, isn't it, when you look at um, a lot of the retailers and the proportion of business that is now done online versus um, people walking through the door and and physically buying things. Mm, Absolutely. That that whole thing is shifting dramatically. And and I guess, again, that's a very good example Mm. If their, if their app's not right and their website's not right, then they lose business and they will lose huge amounts of business. Uh, absolutely. I think we've seen, certainly in the UK, one or two examples of where uh, certain customers, certain companies haven't quite got their website right and it's cost them big time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was working on a project a number of years ago and they were trying to, quite a while ago, so they were trying to move from kind of physical slash virtual colo data centres to... Um, to starting to talk about private clouds. And one of the huge drivers for that was for their Christmas Day web traffic. And I can't remember the exact metrics, but it was on, along the lines of on, on Christmas Day itself, the website gets more traffic in the UK than the Amazon website. Um, but through the rest of the year, at the time, certainly, they didn't have online shopping, um, as in groceries, and I don't know if they still do. Um, but they, they weren't an organisation that was very heavily reliant on, on web presence. They were still very much in the central business district of every town in the country. But then all of a sudden they were having to have Amazon size and style 
infrastructure just for one or two days a year. So I think you know that that's a, that's that's a real interesting example of, of how these organisations have had to yeah. had to look at infrastructure. So we can't buy x hundreds of or thousands in that case of VMs and storage and everything else just to be reliant on one day. And now we're moving forward. You know the DevOps opportunity for them you know, will almost eradicate a huge amount of that issue, you know, where they can spin up and change their environment in days and minutes. It's interesting, isn't it? I heard some statistic along the lines of organisations such as Marks and Spencers, they do 60, 70, 80% of their business in the six weeks before Christmas. And you're right, I mean, building an infrastructure to support uh, the amount of traffic that they do for for six weeks Mm, and then for the other 44 weeks of the year or whatever it is, 46 weeks of the year, um, that, that infrastructure is only used to 20% of its uh, capabilities. Mm. It's quite staggering. And I guess that's where cloud bursting came from and the ability to be able to um, to cope with that. There was another interesting example in that, and that's the exam- examination board's results systems. Mm. So one day of the year when, when all, the, uh, all the kids get their exam results and they all go online, that system is just swamped by every... Uh, student in the country and of course for the, the rest of the year it's never used absolutely absolutely <laughs> and, and with, an interesting uh, with, problem for them yeah absolutely with, with those retailers um i'm assuming you have this problem but i know you have it in the insurance sector so all those um uh, lloyd's organizations is they will have a a change freeze on their entire it environment so the, the insurance sector the lloyd's insurance sector certainly has a uh renewals date almost everything renews on the 31st of December so for certainly weeks if not months beforehand they have a, an absolute change freeze on their environment anything from if, if, if they need to buy a SAN you know that has to be done in the summer and in for September um, because they can't you know they're not allowed to change their environment because they don't want to risk anything breaking going wrong for that change uh, or for that huge um, increase and spike on the 31st of December, and I suspect that the retail chains are the same. In that, you know, as you say, that that six week period before Christmas, I suspect in that and before it, there's a complete change freeze. Whereas if they were operating within a, a DevOps environment, I suspect that freeze will be either eradicated or lesser. Mm, and, I, and I assume it's, it would be the same for most large financial organisations mm. when it comes up to the end of the tax year. Absolutely. They probably have a massive change freeze in the last three, four weeks running up to that point because they just don't change anything mm. just in case something goes wrong. Yeah. Yeah. For another another use case, I guess, DevOps would allow them to make small incremental changes uh, much more safely during those periods. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I can't imagine these days that many CEOs would be able to fathom going to their technical teams to say, we've got this idea or change that has to be implemented for the business to make sure it stays ahead of its competitors. And his response being, I'm afraid we can't do that for another eight weeks because we've got this technical change. Because I can't, you know, in the, it, the way that the world changes and fluctuates so quickly, you know, eight weeks could be, could be hugely detrimental to a business, I guess, if you just have to sit and wait on something. What we often see is, um, you know, if you're first to market with a, with a new service, a new product, um, typically, you'll get 50% of the market, all things being equal. You know, if you're fourth, fifth, you could well be fighting over the last five to 10%. So, you know, if you've got that that brainwave or you can see an opportunity, you want to get that service to market or that offering to market as quickly as you possibly can. Mm. And if yeah. you can't change your systems to support 
that type of uh, deployment, then, then you are going to find your business struggling very quickly. Mm. In a past life, I used to work in <clears throat> the financial services sector uh, and I was working for a bank the, the day that there was the, the run on Northern Rock and, and the credit crunch really hit. And the organisation was having to make changes to interest rates that they were lending money out um, in, you know, in, in speeds that they, they'd never seen before. At the time, that sort of business wasn't hugely online. But, you know, it was very much paper-based applications 10 years ago still. But I can imagine that if there was a similar scenario today, you know, you'd hear, and we saw it a little bit with Brexit, where people were buying up um, foreign currency. You know, organisations mm-hmm. where they've got an online presence and they're lending money, but there's a some sort of government or uh, economic change. They need to be able to go in and make changes to their systems or be able to deploy, um, make changes to costs or however it's done to those environments immediately rather than having to go through you know a laborious process and we i can't remember the organization but they lost huge amounts of money just had to shut their website down the, the night or morning of of brexit because people were just going on it was a, one of the travel agencies they were just going on their website and, and buying up currency as the exchange rate changed so again to be able to have this agile approach to your development of your systems internally can can allow you to change as the environment around you changes i guess is the key Okay, so just um, conscious of time, gentlemen. So I've got a couple more questions I'd like to get through. So Bob, we've talked about the positives, and there are a lot of them, and moving towards a, a DevOps environment and way of producing code and uh, and development. What are some of the downsides of moving towards DevOps? So on the downsides, I mean, organizational change is always tough, I think, in any company. Individuals don't typically embrace change. They find change tough. So that's often a stumbling block right out of the gate, if you like, because a lot of people say, well, this is my job. This is the way I've always done it. This is the way I understand it. It works okay. I don't, I don't really understand what it is you want me to do differently and why. But that, that can often be a, a, a problem. Um, I think the way we see people overcome that is by doing this slowly, not, not going for um, a big bang approach where we change everything, as it were, in the whole DevOps organization and, and try and um, boil the ocean. We, we see slow incremental change as a way to do it, and, and maybe identify within the within the organisations um, people who are change agents, people who enjoy change, people who enjoy the challenge, and allow them to pioneer it. Um, so I, I think you know one of the downsides I saw one particular company was they did go for this this big bang approach, and and it was a total failure. Yeah. I mean, they just they succeeded in upsetting almost every single person that was involved. And it, and it takes a long time to recover from that. And because once something, as we all know, once something gets a bad name, it's it's really difficult to shake that off. Yeah. <laughs> so I think you have to be very careful around Absolutely. And a lot of the kind of high-level consulting conversations that I certainly have with companies and the business here does is looking at changing systems and processes is relatively easy. But getting people to utilise and follow that change is very, very difficult. And organisations that are looking at DevOps have to realise that before they change systems and processes, they must implement change within the culture of the organisation. And only once that cultural change starts to progress, then the organisation will then be able to implement those systems and process changes much, much easier. By changing systems and processes without driving change within the culture of the organisation, we'll often see these these sorts of projects fail. And I think that's exactly on your point. If, if an edict comes down and just says, Everybody, you used to work like this. Today, you need to work like this. 
please continue, you know, it, it won't change. It has to be an iterative cultural shift. You know, I think one of the keys, of, as you alluded to there, is you have to get people to want to do this. Absolutely. You have to get people to understand the benefits of this. Okay, the transition could be a little painful, but the, the end result will be a, a much better organisation. And at, at the end of the day, you as an employee want your company to succeed. Mm. And if, if you can be part of that change and part of helping that success, then it's good for you as the individual and it's also good for the company at the end of the day. Bob, for the audience, I'm sitting here as a listener. I'm thinking about implementing DevOps. What questions do I need to be asking myself and the organisation as part of that planning process? towards a DevOps world? Good question. The number one, as in most projects, is so what is it we're trying to achieve? What is the goal here? And I think this comes back to the previous question around failure. Quite often, again, failures occur because there's no, no clear end goal set. Nobody really understands what they're trying to work towards. So you, you need that target. This is what we're trying to achieve. And then if you like, you work it back from that target. So where, where are we? Where do we need to be? What are the steps that we need to implement in order to be able to reach that, that end goal, as it were? And, and so I think consulting is absolutely key here. Starting a project without understanding what all the steps are and where the likely pitfalls are is a recipe for disaster and is almost certain to end in failure. Hmm. And so I, I think without a, a proper consulting project uh, right at the very beginning, you are, you're doomed to failure. What's also imperative in, in that, Bob, is Again, it's a bit of a cultural shift, but it's when we see it extrovert, it's not having a third party consultant to the organisation going in and looking under the covers, going away in isolation and reporting back to the business. That consultancy piece is really, really involving the organisation that you're going to consult. So it's not necessarily going in and saying, right, we've had a look. This is our opinion. You know, we go in and do some real simple maturity assessments that can be based on metrics where we'll look at the systems and processes that are in place, score it at zero to four, and then go back with a maturity assessment. But it's also assessing the organisation itself. And that's very much a questions and answers basis, so outcome-based metrics, very open questions. And, it's, and those questions and those workshops with the customer aren't for us to necessarily give an opinion. It's actually just to, to get the facts and the, and the scenario, the situation out of the customer. They know the information and it's just going in and, and asking them the questions and having an open dialogue. And at the end of that, you come up with a kind of a model to say, OK, so this is what your organisation looks like from a systems and processes maturity, but also from a, a cultural maturity. So, you know, um, how very open questions that you can't necessarily quantify but you start to get a good view of okay if you start to make changes how susceptible is the organization to change and it's a very involved approach with the customer rather than as we still see some of the old-fashioned ways of going and doing these assessments it might be going in deploying a couple of tools it could be cat planner or something like that back in the day where you you deploy some tools you gather the data you compile it and you send a report back it's, it's very much just trying to get the information out of, out of the individuals and the key stakeholders and parts of the business and then sort of reporting back to say this is what your organisation looks like from a cultural but also from a systems and processes metrics perspective as well. Very, very different approach. And I, I think what's key in what you've said there is you're, you're working more in partnership with the company with concerns. You're not, you're not coming in just to cast a view over what they do and how they do it but you're trying to exactly. trying to build a, a proper partnership and understand their business and get them to understand your business certainly what we see is if you build a partnership rather than just a seller buyer type relationship 
you build a much stronger relationship and that relationship becomes much more enduring. Absolutely. And, and you become a, a trusted advisor as well to the organisation. Uh-huh. So you're not seen as just somebody who's going in just trying to sell them a bit of consultancy, take the money in and run, as it were. Exactly. So and, and we're having... much more involved. We're, we're positioning ourselves... And it's, it, you know, all, the end users seeing a huge change with DevOps, but as consulting organisations, we're seeing a change. We're moving away from conversations such as we're a technical consultancy where we go in and do some discovery and redesign and then deploy. You know, that, that can be fixing a problem or implementing a new system to solve a problem. But now, and it's to coin a phrase that you used earlier, we're going in and talking to organisations and positioning ourselves as a change agent not as a technical mm. consultancy. So we work with a number of vendors, so yourselves all the way through to the likes of Puppet themselves, where we're asked to go in and help with that, that change process. So the organisation says, okay, we're at point A today, we want to get to point B. Now that might be we want to have a DevOps system in place, or they say you know, we want to start utilising and deploying tools to help us with our existing DevOps processes. And our role is that change agent. So you can't just go in anymore like you used to be able to do with the SAN and say, right, it's going to take me a week to plug it all in and I'll go into the GUI and set it up. It's you're operating as a change agent. I suspect that's where organisations like HDS will see a change where it will move away from RFPs and, and huge schematic designs to starting off at the very beginning to operate as a change agent and then it's an iterative change to their back-end environments and the, and the technologies that you guys would then sell to those customers. Yeah, and I think also it's also coming down to there's a business problem to be solved and that problem may be solved by technology and it may not be solved by technology. Oh. It may be solved by just a process change. And it's becoming more around what the business wants and how the business wants to operate and then how we react to and help them achieve that operational goal, whatever that is. So the whole nature of of the way in which the business develops and changes and the way in which we sell and partner with organisations has completely changed over the last two or three years. In terms of where you see the future heading, what are you seeing happening in the market, both in, in relation to DevOps and in relation to the way that organisations are planning across their IT estate? Yeah, good question. I've been in the industry a long time now, and I've said this many times, and I know other people have said similar things. What really is surprising me is the pace of change that we're seeing now. I think it's true to say we've seen more change in the last three years in this industry than we saw in the previous 10. I think, you know, you go back five, 10 years ago, the industry was quite vague, quite stuck in its ways. Some people seem to have the attitude it existed in its own right. I think all that's gone. Uh-huh. More and more, everything we do, and I'm pretty sure this is true of the competition now, is seen as a service. And if you don't provide a service with quality and reliability, it doesn't matter what else you do, you won't succeed. And that hand in hand with that is you have to be able to cope with the pace of change. And that pace of change is, is really from top to bottom in the industry. It's everything from the real base technology, you know, the change we've seen from disk drives to flash like where the data is actually held has changed. Ten years ago, who would have believed that, that the majority of what we do is now sold as a as a service? Mm. It's sold on an operational expense model, not on a capital expense model. And, and, you know, and everything between those two extremes is changing and is changing at a huge rate. Mm. And I think a lot of organisations are struggling to keep up with that pace of change. Yeah. What I find is fascinating is if you're if you're starting up a business, you could set a business up today and become an Airbnb, 
um, without ever owning any technical hardware other than laptop, iPad, and, and a phone. You don't, you know, you don't. You can use Skype for for telephony and voice these days. Um, there's absolutely no need for ownership at the back end, which I think allows that speed of change more than anything else. And there's lots of organisations that having to keep up with that change. You said about the the hotel chains. You might find that some of those big hotel chains, the procurement cycle to refresh their storage estate in the whole of EMEA could take longer than it did for Airbnb to start up and become the market leader. I still think there's a big change to be had for some of those huge, large organisations. And I think when you look at the bigger picture and you look at what happens if organisations don't change, or they come to believe that what they have will be popular forever, they disappear very quickly. Mm. And you, you think of two companies that, that spring to mind, Nokia and, uh, and BlackBerry. Yeah. The BlackBerry one is one that never ceases to amaze me. How they went from nothing to the must-have gadget mm. that everybody wanted to who are they Absolutely. Is, is incredible. Yeah, I expect if, I, if I asked my 16-year-old nephew, he wouldn't know who they were. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, another one that I often use as, a, as an illustration of, of this is Kodak. Yes. You, you know, you say Kodak to, to anyone under the age of 20, and they probably go, what? Mm. We never heard of them. Well, yeah, and, I... and yet when I was younger, everybody in the world knew mm. who Kodak were and what they did. Yeah, and Blockbuster yeah. Netflix is, uh, is, is the obvious <laughs> yeah. one. Um, and that's just yeah, say, say videotape to mm. anyone under the age of probably 30. That's a clue what you're talking about. Mm. My, my kids have grown up now, but they still laugh at me because whenever I say I'm going to record something on Sky, I always say I'm going to tape it. <laughs> <laughs> it takes me hugely, Absolutely. but most people wouldn't have a clue. Gentlemen, we uh, unfortunately we're out of time, so... In closing, Bob, for people that would like to learn a bit more about what you're doing at Hitachi and also what's happening at the SNIA, where can they find out more about you? Obviously, our website. So if you search on Hitachi Data Systems, you will find our, our website and the same with SNIA, Storage Network and Industry Association. So there's stacks of information available on, on both of our websites. You can obviously contact me, email address bob.plumridge at hds.com. You're more than welcome to email and contact me directly. Twitter, my handle is plumbob56. Any questions that come up, please feel free to use any of those uh, vehicles to, to get in contact. You're very kind. Gentlemen, thank you both for your time. Thank you. That brings us to the end of another episode of Cloud Insiders. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed it. And to find out more and access show notes and downloads, head over to cloudinsiders.fm. You can track us on Twitter at Cloud Insiders, and we'd love you to leave us a review on iTunes. See you next time.